Today's podcast is brought to you by Blue Canary. The bird has landed on beautiful Bainbridge Island, conveniently located at 499 Madison Avenue. ASE Master Technician Clint Ramsey brings over 15 years of experience, award-winning diagnostic skill, and a desire to reinvent the automotive repair experience. Schedule an appointment online at bluecanary.biz or call them today at 206 451 42 GreatNorthernElectric.com, serving our Bainbridge and Kitsap neighbors with solutions for anything electrical in your home. 206-842-3620. This segment of the Bystander Podcast is brought to you by Eagle Harbor Insurance. We don't sell insurance, we help people buy it. This has always been their motto and continues. They understand every family has different insurance needs, be it coverage or premiums. No two cases are the same, and they will always do their best to guide you into the proper coverage to fit your budget. They are here to help anytime. Give them a call at 206-842-7410 or contact them online at eagleharborinsurance.com. Are you a service member thinking about buying or selling your home? Whether you're active duty, a veteran, or a family member, you need a real estate professional who understands the unique challenges of the military. A Navy veteran, certified military relocation professional, prior Blue Angel, and CEO of the Repoint Real Estate Group at Keller Williams Realty Puget Sound, Scott Lever specializes in helping military families relocate to and from the Kitsap Peninsula. Call him today at 206-486-4891 or visit online at repoint.com. I got something for your mind, body, and soul. Welcome, Podcastville. You've found the Bystander Podcast. Today, my guest is John Grinter. He is known as a trailblazer on the island. How are you doing today, John? I'm doing good, Timothy. Thank you. I knew you would be good. Hey, um, you had a vision a while back about connecting Winslow through trails to the Grand Forest. How has that come across in the 18 years that you've been on the island are we getting closer to actually achieving that? I know when we made Hilltop and connected the two Grand Forests, that was pretty epic. And I really enjoy walking through that Grand Forest. But I think it would be super cool if we could walk from the ferry on trails all the way through the Grand Forest and back. Is that a possibility? Well, it's, it is definitely, and it's getting closer. Um, 
every every few years anyway uh it's interesting now with the purchase that the park district made of the sakai property that you now have a public publicly owned land various uh, different agencies but from the ferry terminal to battle point park um basically you go up 305 on the new sto you cross uh, you go up through the Sakai. I mean, it's there's not a pathway there, but it's publicly owned. Um, you've got the Sakai property that goes up to Madison. Madison has the school district property that goes to New Brooklyn with city owned on one side. Then you've got Sakai Woodward Schools. And there's a conversation with the school district about a pathway um, way behind the schools that, that would go back and link up to um, Wardwell Avenue, which is a city-owned road uh, that takes you then up to uh, McRedmond Road, which is goes up to the Grand Forest um, Park Complex. That's part of – once you get to Wardwell, you're on the park district's uh, what they call the, the Cross Island route, and uh, that is what connects from Grand Forest East to Hilltop to Grand Forest West to the Forest to Sky Trail to Battle Point Park which goes actually to Ferry Dell uh, Park down on the water facing um, towards Paulsbow. So from the ferry to Ferrydale, you get pretty far. You've got you've got connected lands there. Um, how we got there is is an interesting story. It's a combination of just existing land that's been owned publicly for a long time, but um, the Forest to Sky Trail, for instance, was part of the city's open space commission. Uh, purchases uh, the community voted back in 99 i think to to for a bond to purchase and preserve open spaces um, including habitat critical areas um, farmland shoreline access and trail connections um, and it was a, a really well done process and they, they secured lands across all of that spectrum. And most of those have been turned over to the park district to manage. Um, out of all of them, though, uh, making the trail easements and connections with private property owners was, I believe, the hardest thing that they did. Because when you buy a single purchase a property, a parcel, it's, it's a one-person transaction. But if you need easements from five people or more, which is what the Forest to Sky Trail needed – um, those are those are can be conversations that luckily we're able to put together. Sometimes they wait for years. Um, so some of the this is a long term plan. The trail connections, the map that's that that was developed by the park district and the city uh, for this larger interconnected network of not just trails but quiet roadways, separated pathways that allow us to travel without getting on a busy road for the most part in, in the first place. Um, it's a long-term plan. It, 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 if a property owner doesn't want to sell an easement, uh, and there are a number of places where we do need those easements uh, to get these longer routes, um, then you just have to play the waiting game. You know, they maybe they'll change, they might move, and uh, uh, so uh, as far as connecting Winslow to the Grand Forest, um, we're lucky. There's only one piece of land that's really needed to get from Winslow, like proper towards the roads that lead to the Grand Forest, the quiet roadways, and it's owned by the school district. And um, positive news is that the school district is is moving forward with the city to develop a, 
uh, a trail route to get estimates on crossing Sakai Creek, which is a very sensitive wetland area, um, and trying to kind of figure out a way to make this happen. And that's a welcome development. So uh, once we get that figured out and and uh, line up the funding, uh, then that connection to Winslow is is becomes a reality. Um, and I think that's a that's a big deal. A couple of things that come to mind listening to you here. I walk a lot of trails. I mean, I would say I'm out there probably three hours a day walking trails easily. And I don't know the name of every single one. So can you familiarize myself and others what the Sky Trail means? Oh, uh, Forest to Sky is if you are parked in a car, which is we're trying what? to get. We have <laughs> yeah, cars on course. the island? Yeah. Um, well, part of the goal is that you don't have to get in a car to get to a trail. Yeah, that's um, not always possible. But so if you were, were at the Grand Forest West in the main parking lot off of Miller Road, it's the pathway. It's called Forest to Sky, uh, and it goes to the Battle Point Park, um, kind of the southeast corner. Oh, okay. And comes out there. We're kind of like the park debris is stored yeah it's uh, like the staging area there's a horse kind of a horse workout corral area there corral that i see no one using it's near hole five or six of the new disc golf course which is there yeah that's cool i I like that they did that in the pea patch right yeah and the pea patch is there yeah another thing you said wardwell is city owned what 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 do you mean by that well it's just Wardwell and and uh, it's like a lot of these other kind of quiet, dear, nearly dead end or dead end roads. Uh, in fact, the city has a tremendous number of these local access roads. They're really critical for islanders who live in those neighbor those really wonderful little neighborhoods that are tucked away on these quiet roadways. And um, those those roads, as terms in terms of walking or biking facilities. Are generally don't need any improvement. They're fine the way they are. That's that's and those can be utilized as part of this trail network. And it's on a more global scale. These roads don't need any improvement. They're already an existing public asset. And if we can, what we do is identify where do those roads do they? A lot of times they end at existing public land. So if we can find a route through that public land in a way that's that's sensitive to the environment, um, then we can link it up to another destination or another quiet road on the other side. So what's really fascinating about this trail, and I use kind of the loose trails because it includes these quiet roadways, this this network of interconnected pathways and routes, um, is that it it takes it, – its genesis is the part of the strength of this island, whereas some of the road-based improvements are, are kind of our weak area. We have really narrow right-of-ways. It's a lot of difficulties, missing shoulders. Uh, spendy items. What we love most about this island is the the rural beauty of it and that aesthetic. Um, that's just it's pastoral. So when you have links of these longer, quiet roadways or dead ends, um, unopened city rights of ways, and then uh, easements that are needed to get you know we'll have to work with neighbors. You can you're really we're really close to kind of transforming. How some of the options for getting around the island by foot or bike, possibly even horse, um, to open up. It's again the idea being that you don't need to always be on a busy road in the first place. Right. I prefer to walk 
where it's quiet, I can be mindful. Another thing that came up while you were speaking there is the path behind the schools, that Grisdale neighborhood off New Brooklyn, and how that's kind of sunk in and it's natural wetland and it has an ecosystem all its own behind the school and then you have the stream. How do we touch that without disrupting that? Well, it's it's not unique to Bainbridge to have a sensitive wetland environment um, that that does is crossed, you know, by in this case a, a, a non-motorized pathway or bridge. Um, there's examples throughout the city. Um, Islandwood has done it with a really big suspension bridge. I don't think that's going to be in the works for us anytime soon. Um, in Grand Force West, uh, there's a wonderful wooden bridge that crosses Issei Creek. Um, and, of course, this just roadways. You know, uh, Wardwell, for instance, is a long road that, that, that crosses a, a large marsh area. Uh, the city spent a fair amount of money last year opening up, rebuilding that, and improving the, the passage uh, from a culvert, replacing the culvert, to a wider uh, bridge that's going to allow more water flow and kind of mimicking a more natural stream flow environment. Uh, there's a silver salmon run that, that does come up all the way to uh, – these are returning salmon that the kids from Sakai released you know, probably three to four years ago that are coming back up as mature adults. Yeah, I love the Coho Project and – and what's going on at Sakai. My son's actually attending Sakai right now and been a member of Trout Unlimited and a few other things, and it's really neat to see him get out there in nature and participate. When we're talking about being a trailblazer, who kind of leads the charge to get these trails on ballots, levees, the work done? Um, Is it all kind of put out there by the land trust, individual people, um, a desire by who, what, why? Well, I think that, and I appreciate the, you know, being called a trailblazer. I think that it's, there's a lot of people across the whole spectrum that have, have really made this a reality. Before I moved here, or even got along, a lot of this groundwork was already laid. Um, but there's been a real increase in the, uh, at the Park District's Trail Advisory Committee, they have a monthly work party. There's real, real deep involvement by volunteers to, to build, to maintain, to, to uh, sensitively lay out good routes that work. Um, and the credit across the island for making this happen is, is really needs to be spread broadly. It's, it's the land trust. It's the dedicated volunteers. It's the staff. At the and the park district is really the lead on trails and pathways, um, so they deserve a lot of credit, and the community does too, because we passed the park district um, passed a levy increase a number of years ago now for trails uh, and for more trails. Um, and you were a part of the advisory board, are you still? Not with the park districts. I was I was uh, early on involved in the trails advisory committee with with parks. Um, but they just keep moving forward, and they're doing a lot of really good work. And a, a partner that's recently come on strongly is the Park Foundation, the Bainbridge Parks Foundation. Uh, they've increased their emphasis on finishing and getting more connections for this this interconnected network um, of pathways and trails. And I can't say enough about the importance of having a 
non-governmental third-party agency that can go out and talk neighbor to neighbor or try to identify opportunities. Um, because as a, as a landowner who might need to be pursued with for an easement, um, it's, it's nice to have someone you know that you're talking with. And there's just kind of an inherent relaxation, I think, or easier conversation if it's not something, someone from the city. You know, it's like it just immediately it's a different conversation. How do you feel the city's um, dealing with all this growth? And there seems to be a lot of backlash and a lot of misinformation. And you, you say that you see that there's certain efforts being made on, on one one advocacy's behalf versus the other, um, lack of growth versus growth, trails, non-motorized causeways and such. How do you feel the, the city's doing overall on the, on the trail system? Well, it, it could do better. Um, there's certainly no shortage of opportunities that remain. There, there's a pretty discreet list. I mean, it's not endless, um, and they've chipped away at some of them. A, a good success story recently was the trail that is now installed on the northern property line of, of the Islandwood, and that pathway was put in the list 10 or 15 years ago, uh, and it finally got done. But what it does is it provides a connection um, for, and it was built by the Park District. Uh, the Parks Foundation really helped uh, coordinate this effort. It connects Old Mill to Blakely Avenue, and it comes out right next to the Blakely School. So now all those neighbors that really were kind of separated from Blakely Elementary have a, an option. Um, not to say they're all going to ride and walk their bikes every day. There's still impediments of getting there. But um, the city has not been able to dedicate enough resources, both either in staff or funding, to really pursue the targets that, that are needed. Um, we're working on some other stuff that – uh, it's been on the list for 15 years and more, but well before I got involved. Um, and they're f slowly but surely kind of chipping away at it. Um, you know, they've got so many other items on their plate, uh, too many, in my opinion. Um, I think that the city's kind of, in a way, suffering from uh, if everything's a priority, then nothing is a priority, uh, trying to do too much. Uh, so uh, they could do better. Um, and the relationship with the park district needs, needs work. Um, in a nutshell, parks has kind of unilaterally decreed that they are not going to, they're not in the business of building what they call transportation trails. And, um, I think it's, it's a gray area. Um, what's a transportation trail? What's a recreation? But I mean, I guess you know it when you see it, um, I'd just like to see a, a kind of an effort made between the two agencies to figure out a way to make this happen because the community loves it. Um, yeah, let's get into this mobility levy that's coming in November. I've recently walked that trail that you're just talking about, Blakely, um, I think yesterday. And I noticed in the mobility levy that it's kind of written vague in my mind what trails and what improvements and sidewalks are going to do what. Um, and there seems to be a spread of ideas within that levy. But one of them is trail access 
around Blakely and to Blakely School. I have no problem walking that trail and getting to that school. And the other end, if you're coming up from Pleasant Beach or whatever, that's a big trek of a hill and probably not the best way to walk to school. But I don't see kids putting out that effort, nor do I see them bicycling. But I do see everybody's um, Land Rover and Tesla drop them off at school up there and not use these trails. I wonder if there really is a demand for that area to have increased trails for the sole purpose of getting to that elementary. And if that's the best use of the You money. know, there's there's no silver bullet. I mean, it's it, the idea is having options. And the, the the topography of the island really has a lot to say about how, yeah. how you're going to get around. You know, um, you know, it could be a con- whole conversation about e-bikes and, and how they are real game changers for a lot of people across a wide range of ages. Um, looking beyond Blakely, I mean uh, – uh, there's a number of things that have been done there to try to improve uh, safety and access. Um, the little islands that were installed in front of the you know, p- pedestrian safety islands in front of the, the school, that was done in 2006, about, uh, about the same time as the recession started hitting. And that's when the budget for creative, or just not even creative, just basic non-motorized infrastructure and traffic calming and shoulders, which had been fairly robust and detailed and developed after a thorough criteria process and prioritization process, everything ended. The city went actually three years with no budget for any road maintenance, not even preservation, no chip seals, nothing for three years. And we're still digging ourselves out of that hole. So to get to the mobility levy, it's the local funding for this basic infrastructure that's been lacking. In, in And that's why a lot of the elements that are in the plan are still not implemented. And this is basic stuff. We're talking road shoulders. 50% of the funding from the mobility levy goes to these basic needs you know we have this patchwork of of shoulders on our main arterial roads where you have a shoulder a shoulder a shoulder and then it's a crumbling fog line and sheer terror if you have to be on a bike ride or a foot the first time you're there you're like whoa and that's what i experienced when i moved here 18 years ago and it's still the case 18 years later i've seen tremendous developments across other parts of the island and the city but these potholes you know almost have their own like lineage and they're generations old so yeah, there's white lines that have crumbled away yeah that's the crumbling fog lines you know um so, so i just want to jump in because i want to scream sometimes about this mobility levy um being the bystander i don't know how much opinion i want to put out there um but it seems like there's not a sheer idea exactly of how this money is going to be spent or what trail or what sidewalk is going to be improved. There's some targets, but there's a, a good faith ask on the community to pass a $15 million levy that basically seems like a slush fund for the city council to try out. And over the, that thought process, if I do my math right – that's about a million dollars a mile for sidewalks and a seven-year process. So if we really wanted to have these arterial areas that we speak of with the crumbling fog lines and a real sense of safety with both a sidewalk and a bike lane, it looks like it's a 75-year process. And I'm going to be long gone before that's happening. And then we get into the process of 
rainwater and all that other yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's 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 actually more specific than is is apparent. There's there's a list, a specific list and prioritized list of projects that fall what the council but did isn't is isn't a percentage like yeah there's 50 50 is going to go to the core 40 now the core 40 basically what that means is that there's 40 miles of arterial roads these are the busy roads that need to have a proper shoulder okay out of the 40 miles uh it was a few years ago now there were still 13 miles of roadways where there's like no shoulder or it's just not just no shoulder it's worse than no shoulder um and so that's does it come out to a million dollars a mile Yes and no. Um, there's a lot of detail that 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 needs to be looked into. So, uh, as far as the buckets go, just to outline those, fifty percent goes towards the shoulder improvements. Those are practical, basic solutions that we need. Thirty percent is supposed to be allocated towards the the safe routes to school and intra island trail connectivity. The two there's places where they overlap and other places where they don't. But to give you examples of how safe routes to school funding could be spent, uh, those safety median islands that we put in front of, of Blakely Elementary many years ago, um, when we did that, the plan was to then also mimic that for Sakai Woodward so that when you're coming off of the 305 at speed, you, you're clearly in a zone where there's people. Now it's not just the schools, it's Copper Top. Uh, basic fundamental solutions. You know, um, a few years ago, the city uh, put in, they spent a, I don't know, twenty or thirty thousand dollars just widening the shoulder coming off of three hundred five on Sportsman's Club as you first climb up to get to Sakai. That little improvement alone, I don't know how many people that's helped, but I can tell you the people, the kids that used to ride up there now have a lot more room to climb that hill because when you're climbing, your bike starts wobbling a little bit. You need more room to meander. Um, we were able to get one small section in at the steepest part of the hill, but then it ends. And if if the city had been allocating just a steady amount of funding across the last 15 yeah, years, uh, and that's but, we, but they haven't. And the city is a reflection of the community. Okay, and I think that the biggest takeaway, maybe for any of the listeners out there to to just consider and wrap your head around, is the geographic size of our island is huge. We have 140 miles of roadways. Uh, most of those are local access roads. Um, but think about the demands of the basic infrastructure on a city this large, the size of Manhattan, with a tax base that is completely undiversified. It's property taxes, and that's it. Okay, then you, you've got schools built to a gold standard. Click-a-thon okay. every you, day. You've got a park district that used to be – having to run a ballot measure every two years just to keep the doors open. I was involved in, in organizing the becoming the Metro Park District. I ran the petition drive for that to give them stable funding. Well, now their budget is $13 million a year uh, with in increasing administrative costs every day. Well, they're all coming out of the same pocketbook. Uh, yeah, and city and, council's writing a new budget. You know, and so, yeah, it, it's, it's going back to the levy, it's, it's not as undefined as people may make it think that it is, it's actually very well-defined and the buckets are there. Could they have done a better job educating the community about it? Sure. Um, then you start opening the debate. Well, we want specific prices. We want to know exactly this and that. Well, let's break that down just a little bit because there's a lot of uncertainty involved when you're talking about road projects 
or trail acquisition or right-of-way acquisition in order to do a road project. There's a lot of unexpected costs and costs or things that just that, that, that pop up so so the idea of picking out of a bucket of projects like in in, in the priority lists that we developed uh, with the non-motorized committee um, it's been done two times over 15 years it, it's all still the same projects it's been vetted thoroughly by councils through public process there's a, there's a list but it's it, as opposed to a like this building a school. Well, the school owns the land. They have complete control over what happens. They don't have to like negotiate with property owners, and they don't have to. There's a whole lot of things that may cause a a, a project to move forward or stall or, or stall it. Um, the thing that's been the biggest detriment to implementing these sorely needed projects has been a lack of local funding and a reliance on federal and state grants. Okay, and that is relevant, very relevant for the community to understand why, for instance, is did the Sound to Olympics project move forward? Why did this giant big trail, bigger than some of us <laughs> had anticipated, anticipated yeah, yeah um, why did that move forward when these other projects haven't? Well, when the grant funding, you know, certain projects are more attractive for grants, and that can cause a project to leapfrog others that may serve a more immediate need, but don't fit that grant category. So the city, in its frugality and, and being able to stretch the limited funds it's, it's had, has been very active in pursuing grants. Uh, and so you have the STO, you have the, the potential bridge grant that's now canceled, but um, it helps, I think, to, for the community to understand why is it that that the, the the missing shoulders here or this little connecting pathway there have not been addressed while some of the bigger stuff has moved forward. Um, lack of local funding and where is the funding gone? Well, you can break down the budget. Where does it get spent? You know, there's 14 different advisory committees that report to council. Each one of those is filled with passionate people who can be very eloquent bend the ear and then you have projects that while they're very valid in their own way are they really at the root and core of what we expect from city government uh, yeah, and there's something to be said about the squeaky wheel if you're not politically active the measures that you would want and the accountability that you would want isn't going to be there i went to the mobility levy down at island center and there was not a lot of participation by the community there to inform themselves about what was going on. I have a bit of a fear from what I hear from bicyclists that, like you mentioned, the city's frugality, that after this passes, they may not put in the bike lane and, and shoulder that you would like to see, like a 48-inch sidewalk, whatever the minimum measurement is, the bike trail and, and the and the white line curbs. So that's a serious sense of proper safety and making this pedestrian friendly, non-motorized bicycle community that we want. Do you feel like there's any wiggle room that the projects for widening these lanes like Miller or these arterials that you speak of may kind of be cut back a bit? Like not a true well, bike lane or not a true shoulder or sidewalk? You know, that's a great conversation to have, and uh, it goes back, like, what's the design going to look like? 
Where's the visuals? Where's the planning? I want to see 15, 20% design, 30% design. In order to apply for grants, you have to, I believe it's 25 or 30% uh, design. That means the city has to invest the money in the visual documentation of what it's going to look like, come up with a design. And in my framework, I'd like to see a couple of different designs. Um, now, if, if, if the city spent its funding doing soft costs like design out of a minimum out of, of a very small pot of money, people would be railing uh, on, well, give me, I want to see actual projects. I just don't want to see soft costs and design. So that's what they've chosen to do is they, they spend maybe $600,000 a year now on road preservation, chip sealing and everything. Um, Invisible ink on the white lines. Yeah. It's hard to, you know, and so it's like, we're asking them to prepare or disappearing. Um, you know, a, a, a detailed specific plan with great cost estimates, but they don't have the funds to do that. You know, they're just trying to keep the roads from falling apart. Maybe we need to ease up on the franchise law here and allow Domino's to come in here and fix all our roads. What do you think of that? I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> I, I that can't guy believe- can fold some boxes. That's all I got to say. Yeah, for sure. Um, so there's advisory committees like Squeaky Wheels, um, different bicycle advocacy groups like um, Cascade Bicycle Group. Um, what's another one? Anyway, there's, well, there's some, there's squeaky, some bicycle- squeaky Wheels has been involved in, in you know, when I was chair of the non-notarized committee, um, we reached out with Squeaky Wheels and developed what we call the top top 10 safety priorities. These are the road projects that are specific. You know, here's a great example from the flashing light at Blakely towards Linwood Center around that blind turn. You've got the Hyla Middle School. You've got the Fire Hall. You've got the American Legion Hall. Prior uh, to that Finch Road, you, you know, you've got you've got club. you've got a lot. It's a confusing. It's a complicated. It's a, it's almost like an ecosystem of roads. You've got you know you need shoulders. Uh, it's a bus stop. It's a it, it's a lot of things going on, and it's what. But it, you also have what you have there is you have a right of way that has incredibly differences in width. So so it's really narrow up by the flashing light. It widens up a little bit, then it shrinks down, then it widens up. Uh, there's huge trees along the Hyla side, so you've got to preserve the trees. The the dynamics, and this is a great example of why it's not so easy to say this project is going to be first, this one's going to be second. You know, you've got engineering things. You've got to really make an investment in the staff time to go out and come up with a plan, okay? And and they don't have the money to do but, it. But that not that why we have advisory groups to give recommendations to the city so the city doesn't have to spend the money doing their, their own thing? We have an independent agency. Agency that comes out who's actively participating in cycling and has addressed these situations through a hundred chilly hilly rides. Yeah, let's talk about that. that. I'm that happy stuff. to go into that. Let's let's go over what your your responsibility as a non motorized committee member is. Okay, you review development applications to see if there's a way for us to to is there is there an opportunity for connectivity? So we review development applications that come in. That's just the normal part of the process. And that's okay. So then in the last two years, we wrote a new, completely new transportation element for the comprehensive plan. The yeah. It's called the Island Wide Transportation Plan. They We had to go through and prioritize all the projects on, on the list. 
Okay, so the road projects, the Core 40, the intra-island trails, the regional trails, the sidewalks, the accessibility components. I mean, it's very granular and detailed. Keep in mind that this is all volunteer work when there's no budget to guarantee that any of this work is actually going to be seen in fruition someday. So for the last, since six, seven, eight, two thousand eight. When funding just dramatically fell off the table for the implementation of non-motorized improvements, which are really just transportation improvements, um, we've been working monthly, twice a month, outreach to have a plan that sits on a shelf. And this community is smart enough to know that, that if you want good people to invest their time and give you a good product – don't expect them to want to do it if it's going to sit on a shelf. That's part of the reason why this this local funding source is needed, whether it's through the mobility levy or any other measures. If this levy doesn't pass, we need to be looking at council real hard to say, okay, great, now what? Because this is basic infrastructure. It is really hard to get passing grades on, on what we expect as the foundational services provided by the city. Um, we'll get there. We'll get there, but not if the community doesn't pay attention. You know, it's 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 we are easily uh, there's so many influential people on this island. I, I've just one takeaway I've had since for 18 years living here is the level of expertise and passion and commitment. But think about it: Islanders are influential people. They, they typically have influential jobs in Seattle. They've got a career that in, in, calls them to be powerful and influential. They can take a cause, and they know how to make it happen. They know how to get it done. And so we've seen – I've seen wave after wave of projects come up that garner attention and get the public uh, you know, salivating for their, their completion, and they're all, all legitimate. But every time you do that, that's money that's not going to fix that shoulder, to design that intersection, to, to acquire that easement that's going to create that trail. And uh, – you know, I just think the city's trying to do too much with too little. Yeah, very much, very much so. Well said. That, that's my fear. I want to support the levy for the basis of of what you speak of the the trail system and the mobility and the safety issues. I don't really think the levy is written to a passionate plea to me that says there's no way I can say no to this. There's too many questions, and that's why I appreciate you being a trailblazer to have a conversation like this to not only educate me about the ins and outs of it, but the listeners. Um, Where do we go if this passes to continue knocking down those barriers and open up doors to continue? Because this this is a small, relatively short fix in seven years for a minimum standard in my mind. I would like to see the pieces just continue to grow, like the connectivity of the trails, the connectivity to the sidewalks, the margins, the the bicycle lanes. Can we get a nice bike path from the south end to the ferry for all those people that want to commute on bike when they come around Eagle Harbor, that head there, can that road kind of change and be a, You're surrounded by wetlands on both sides. I mean, it's well. There's gravel there by Eli's flowers. It's it's, it's not much. Um, it could shift uh, a bit. One, one thing I'll say is that is that there actually the, the you can find all of the projects on the city website. Um, they're broken down into the different categories, and and 
that's been out there for a while. It's on the city's non-motorized uh, website page. They're very specific. And throughout the course of the, the community kind of conversation on this levy, um, I've never heard anyone say that they had a problem with the projects that were on the list. No. No one's ever said that. So what – and this is really unfortunate – that this has become a referendum on the council, not on the issues or the projects. It's a matter of trust. Well said. And that's really unfortunate. Uh, you can see how it's happened. I mean um, – and I think that maybe this is another conversation for later, but uh, – I'm down to have part two. I'm, I'm – you know, uh, the structure of how the council interfaces with the community um, – it needs to be looked at. I, I I think that you have too many advisory committee and committees. Period. Uh, beyond which the city doesn't have the time. I mean, if you've got to staff each one of those, and that's just a lot of paperwork. Just to listen to them all. It's impossible, basically. And so, what we need to do is have more council engagement at, at break the, break those committees into maybe five really core elements that can develop root problems because if you if you fix transportation you start making a real effort the the ripple effects go well beyond just getting from point a to point b uh and fixing this for everybody whether you bike or walk or just drive a car okay i don't want to get behind a cyclist in a single lane and feel like i'm gonna have to run them over but they they so it's it's not just transportation it's public health it's public safety Greenhouse gases, climate change. You know what can we really do on the island? You know we've we've got limited things, but what we a lot of emissions. You know if we can reduce that. Um, same as on three or five. What can we do to to get the stop and go changed? We've got roundabouts, possibly that the state's doing. Well, I'd like to see three lanes with a switch arrow. They're so. talking about the plan for three or five. The, the last one I saw beyond like possible roundabouts is a is a three lanes with a bus rapid transit down the middle, like an interchanging lane for for bus rapid transit. To Paulsbo, um, but uh, affordability. You know, if you can, if you can reduce uh, families' need to own that second car, that's nine thousand dollars a year in maintenance costs. That's the average cost of owning a car. Um, so th- there's actually ripple effects to go well beyond, and and that's just from addressing transportation. Those are other th- the other things it touches on are also really par- big parts of the comprehensive plan. Um, so. I think there's a there's a reason why council could if by focusing just on the core elements the foundational elements first it builds a strong foundation for the the other kind of fun stuff I guess you could say later on um, for them to pay attention to what what is your personal priority in in this levy where would you like to see the very first project the first shovel turned well I'll tell you the projects that are happening now on Miller Road which have been on the list for 15 years, more than that. I mean, my entire – the 15 years since I joined the committee, they've always been there. Uh, just obvious safety problems. Um, so I'm thrilled to be seeing those get done. Those were two on our the top safety list we developed with the squeaky wheels. Um, what's that going to look like? Is there going to be a paved It'll be a paved five-foot shoulder with a wider fog line. Um, the lanes will be maybe a little bit narrower. Um, and and then I'll, admittedly, this is an area where the city, if they had the money for the, developing the soft costs and all the graphics to go with it, would be wonderful. Um, uh, I, 
there's so many high priority. It, it, the way I look at it is like any funding, you could hit any one of those top 10 projects and, and you'd make that space so much better. Yeah. Um, so there's not really a specific single one. Um, and, and go back to which one would get done first. And, you know, what if a grant comes up? Is Oh, that target, let's get a grant. Well, in order to get the grant, it helps to have some matching funds. So the needs to having for, for having local funds is just imperative. Um, so if we're there's an argument like it can't be property taxed to death you know at a certain point people are getting taxed off the island um you know we talk about the lack of affordable housing but the property tax is paying for so much of this how as a community member can i keep saying yes jack up my property tax when nobody's jacking up my daily pay (laughs) Well, that's why it's important to focus on core critical. This is, I mean, if 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 someone if there was an argument to be made that fixing our pathways and roads and the shoulders is is not something that we should expect from government, I'd love to hear it. Um, I think that the city, the community, I understand the reluctance of of on the tax burden because we do have an undiversified tax base. By the way, communities that are bike friendly see an economic impact that's very positive. Imagine if we had uh, people coming from downtown. They already do. They walk onto the ferry. They walk off on Winslow. And I'm not talking about the summertime visits from the cruise lines. I'm talking about shoulder season visitors that come from Seattle to come to Bainbridge for the day. That's what we want. That's what the merchants downtown want. They're a captive audience. They come by foot or by bike to visit and and ride our roads and ride our trails. We have the single biggest bike ride on the West Coast. The Chili Hilly mm-hmm. is renowned. You know, I think it's time for the community to say, you know what, let's become a bike-friendly community. Let's just take this to where a lot of people think it already is. You know, I moved here thinking, oh, this is going to be great. I was like, dude, I live in a neighborhood that's completely captive. I can't let my kid ride down to Waltz or go to ride his bike to Blakely. There's not a chance. Mm-hmm. And that is still continues on a daily basis. I talk to people that move into our neighborhood. Man, we thought it was going to be safe to ride our bikes around this place. It's like it's a death trap. Well, let's let's take a claim in the ground and say let's challenge ourselves to be that community. It hits on so many levels and it's not it's all we're asking for is like shoulders and sidewalk improvements so wheelchairs aren't stuck on Madison coming back into next to the road. You know, it just it's small things that add up to big changes and what do you say to the people that totally despise the Chili Hilly and say that it it does nothing but put a tax burden on on the people of Bainbridge Island because those people get off that ferry, monopolize the ferry route to and fro that day, ride their bike for the 32 miles around the island, and then leave. And then we got to clean up after them. They don't stay and spend money, stay in a hotel or anything like that. So we're not having economical benefits from all those people coming onto our island. That money isn't going back into the Core 40 project or anything here. It's going elsewhere. Um, How do we get everybody to to feel that same sense of pride in the Chilihilly and events like that? Because I, you're never, never, never going to please everybody. I mean, right. it's kind of funny. It's like you know, do what I do, stay inside, just skip it. Do Steve's 
supreme free chili hilly three weeks earlier and and, and do it for yourself. And I th- I don't know that you could say I, I realize that the bikers get back on the fair and they leave, but you know I'm sure there's no count on how many have come back. If nothing else, I mean Bainbridge is on the map and has been for decades as this giant ride and is a bike friendly place. So why not capitalize on that? And I think the Chamber of Commerce, for instance, buys that. They they've been going to the bike events, the bike expos, and promoting Bainbridge Island. You can look at communities like Bend, Oregon, Ashland, Oregon, all over the nation where they've decided to consciously make an effort to for connectivity, for safer walking, safer mobility. It's what it's what the millennials want. You look at urban trends and non-urban trends and it's there. So there's a really passionate or compelling reason why to do it. Um, as far as the tax it, it, you know the impact. Well, look at where else your tax dollars are being spent. You have five taxing agencies on the island. They have a quarterly meeting called the Intergovernmental Working Group. The minutes there's no minutes kept. It's it's sparsely populated even by the agencies that are supposed to attend. They're often canceled. Where's the collaboration across the different agencies? We 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 should be we should be getting better collaboration. We, I don't like the lack of transparency in in some of these nonprofit uh, meetings. You know, we we've got together at six thirty. You and I are there meeting. We discuss the topic, uh, table it for next week. Meeting adjourned seven ten. You know, it's not like here was the complaint. Here's what we're going to do about it. Here's our action items. Here's us coming back to review what we did last time. And I see that you know non accountability in a lot of lot of the structures around here. Do you see any of that? I think the problem is that one, you have uh, the, the the geographic on the island. A lot of people are working every day. They've got families. They're busy, they're busier than ever. And to, to carve out an hour or two or more on a monthly basis or weekly, to even be a, an engaged citizen advocate, it's really hard. Um, uh, there's room. There's room for better collaboration. I think the transparency is pretty good. I think that some agencies go overboard, and some agencies, uh, you know, to bare minimum. Uh, that's a whole other conversation. Is like, what have our public uh, record laws done? Uh, have they improved? public transparency or have they driven it further underground uh i'd be happy to share some talk opinions or observations on that sometime um yeah you have to have some type of enforcement to it as well to see things and all i gotta say is beware of unintended consequences um so what exactly does that mean okay here's an example um if the non-motorized committee wants to have a working subgroup on trails. They, we want to dig in. So here's the full committee. Okay, so the committee members, the advisory committee members now, not by state law, but by city law, uh, since some of the other f- public fiascos that have happened, the city now requires each of the, any, all the advisory board members are held to the same public record standards. Okay, and that sounds like a great thing. But really what it can end up happening is that I can't call you up on the phone or we can't go meet to with with another member of the committee. And if there's a quorum, I mean, it gets really complicated. So the ability for you and I to sit down and say, now let's go walk these, you know, let's go walk this road. Let's go see what we want. No, you can't do that because it's not a publicly noticed meeting. So what happens is the meeting doesn't happen and the quality of the output that you're giving, trying to give to the to the council and to the city diminishes. Okay. That's 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 a real phenomenon. 
not only that, you can't communicate using your own email. You have to log in to the city's website so everything can be recorded uh, for someone to maybe go back and look and probably never do that. But it's, you know, at a citizen advisory level, that's what's happening. So while it sounds good and the sunshine is shining on everything, in some ways, that's what I mean. It can be, it can be actually degrading the quality of, of the work and the input that, the, that you're actually getting. This could be solved again by reducing the number of committees, increasing the number of council members on those committees. There should be a capital projects sub working subcommittee of the council with three members of it. There should be a finance working group like that and maybe a human services and an environmental. That's the way it used to work Okay, before we switched to a council manager form. And what and I, I was on the, the non-motorized committee back bef before this change. The depth of, of questions that were asked because these were council members who are elected, the depth and the quality of the questioning that they were able to give staff was phenomenal. They really got into the details and the weeds and the granularity that you need to have if you're talking about road design, trail design, sidewalks. This is complicated stuff. And to expect just advisory committee members to be able to, to issue an opinion that's great is unrealistic. I, as a volunteer, don't have the same leverage or I'm not an elected official. My ability to really question the staff's recommendations is muted by the fact that I still have to work with them on a regular basis and, and get along. It's it's becomes much more than just like advisory recommendations. It's like, well, there's a lot going on. Whereas an elected member of the council can say, well, look, why why is this grant just because we're going to, you know, anyway, I can't go into, you can kind of see how that works is that then what happens in the current relationship with council is that they there's a liaison from that committee that then makes a, a report to, to council. One person makes the report. Well, if there had, and then there, what I've noticed is that the counselors maybe sometimes don't necessarily agree that that report is accurate. They may question some of the the details that this liaison is providing to the committee, uh, to the council, the full council. Well, if there were several members of the council who had been on that committee, you kind of mitigate working that. it out right because you've got two or three people say well they said this but i think they could have talked about that and then you have the whole council talking about like well why is this like that if they said this and that and that's happening in a public setting where we can all see it that's why i don't understand how a city council can be a part-time job it's not a part-time anybody that thinks it is and that's uh, that's a great point it's not a part-time job but it should be yeah, everybody has a, a career and a family and their day job, and then they jump into city council to be a public servant. Yeah. But like you say, there's just so many priorities. And, they they and get an agenda. Their agenda packet every before every meeting is like minimum like two or three hundred pages long. Yeah, and it's, it's weekly, right? Uh, well, they have a working meetings and then business meetings. Um, it's it's a barrage of, of paper that it's not realistic to expect anyone to be able to, to digest it. How you how you decide to cut out which groups I don't know, or how you yeah. you know it's not not going to be easy. But so the length of your Facebook user <laughs> policy, right? Every week and always different. Yeah. Hey, um, I'm running out of time here because I got to get out. But I wanted to touch on your thoughts about the conversion of Fort Ward and Fay Bainbridge from state parks to locally um, taken care of. Wow. That goes back a while. Um, I, I, How do you think it's shaping up? Because I know you had a pretty strong opinion when we were deciding to go that route. Yeah, it happened really fast. Um, the, the, the Just by way of background, you know, the parks, the state parks 
perennially is underfunded and they were just in a really bad spot same time the recession had hit um and the park district had become a metro park district so it had ample funding permanent funding um and it just felt to me that the conversation was kind of almost like predetermined like the the, the state park said okay we're going to surplus or put up for you know to, to another agency these this list of parks, and the rationale was well these parks are underserved they're underutilized they're surplus they're they're not really getting. Um, but interestingly, you have Fate Bambridge, which is like one of the classic state parks. It, it hits on everything. It's proximity to a bigger urban center in Seattle. It's on the water. It had good visitation. It had all these great numbers, but. You know, it struck me that like, well, here's a park district that's got a ton of money and da 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 da, and 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 uh, I didn't think the negotiation with the state was was very thorough on the part of the on the part of Islanders and our tax bill, frankly, because the case was made by the by the park director Terry Landy that oh, we can manage those state parks cheaper than the state does, really, because I don't know how you operate it cheaper than free which is really how much it cost, okay? Think about that. So they, you know, we'll, we'll take them, we'll take them. That's basically how fast it happened. There was maybe one public meeting. It was not well attended. It was not well publicized. And it was a done deal. We we're going to rescue them from being turned into developments. I mean, people were scared that they'd be sold or something like that, which is not the process at all. Um, with that said, the amenities at the parks have improved somewhat, uh, definitely at, Fort, at Fay Bainbridge, Fort Ward, probably was a better candidate for transfer to the park district. Um, I just didn't like us rushing in to solve the fiscal problems that the state's own agencies had created. I didn't think it was appropriate. Um, and I, again, this goes to the bigger picture of our, you're not operating it cheaper than it was before. Not at all. In fact, the, the numbers that were used to justify that, I think are, are questionable. And it would be a really good question to ask, how much does it cost to operate and run those those two parks now? There you uh, go. That question's out in the ether. Yeah, yeah. How, how do you feel about how we've maintained those parks so far? Yeah, they've, they're, they're better maintained. There's no doubt about it. They've, they've done accessibility improvements at, at Fay Bambridge. They've got the uh, some cabins or yurts that are going there for rental. I love it. I mean, it's great. I serve on the Kitsap County Park Advisory Board. Um, and I think there's models from that we've been able to share from what the, the the park district here is awesome. You know they do they do great work. I, I'm I'm a skeptic first and a believer later. I want to see it. I want to I don't I don't trust it till I see it. You know I want to I want I want to know what's going on. But you're also a big fan of them. I'm a huge fan of parks. I mean, the more you talk about kids and your kid's going to be doing this thing in the woods later on, you know, that's what it's all about. It's getting not just kids, get, get people out in this environment that we've worked so hard to, to preserve. That's how you understand the value of it. I mean, my favorite thing to do is have a staycation on the weekend. It yes, yeah, it's great. Walk the dogs on the trails. And yeah, right now, you know, you got the moss, the chanterelles, the fall leaves. It is not raining right now. It's... It's a beautiful place to live. Yeah, we're really lucky. We've created a place that's really desirable, and and I think if we kind of just keep planning f for the future, and I would assure people, reassure people, I think that that from my experience with the planning on a lot of different levels, that we actually have a really good plan for this island, and that growth, while it's could be scary, it's it's also inevitable, and I think that we still have like seventy percent of the homes here are zoned at two and a half acre lots, so. Um, it's always great to be concerned, 
But for those people, the best way to allay that concern is to read the plans, study the plans, get familiar with what they are. and Be an active help. participant. Yeah. Well, John, I really appreciate your time, and I hope you come in for a second conversation because I feel like we're, we're just touching, touching our feet on the ground right now. Um, check out Explore Bainbridge Island on Facebook. Um, if you need your knife sharpened, go see John at Island Edge Knives. Um, check out the Bainbridge Island Parks Foundation and go out there and walk some trails. John, thanks for your time today. All right. You're welcome, Timothy. Thank you very much. I appreciate it.